0: what's up life changers healers deep feelers and hope dealers the life alive podcast is a voice for all people to share their healing stories and a resource for you to tap into your higher love and human potential this is your host doc schrock let's heal grow and flow All right, guys, this is Doc Schrock back with uh, my, fa- well, I, I'm going to just say it, probably one of my favorite guests so far. He's actually getting on the podcast for the second time, Dr. Arno Brunier. Welcome, Arno.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Wonderful to be back on the show.
0: <clears throat> we have a kind of a special episode today. Um, we've got Arno's book, and it is called The Cafe of Life and the Mosquito Principle. Which I love. I, we're gonna get to the mosquito principle, but um, the first place I want to start off about the book Arno, because you did write in your book ab- about the process, and you kind of joked about it, saying you want to thank all the people that uh, kept pushing you to write this book, because now they've they've just totally put a put a, a buzzkill on your life, and and now you're sitting here in front of the computer. <laughs> Tell me. And then you said, I, I am sure or I am just kidding. Um, but then you talked about what this writing process was like is because it wasn't something that you initially It was something that you resisted for a long time. So what did you learn now on the other side about writing a book and kind of pouring part of your soul out there and letting people know what you've learned from life?
1: Okay, so first of all, I resisted it because I was so busy with my family, my children, my full-time practice, uh, teaching, speaking all over the place, my seminars, the camp. I had so much on my plate, so just thought of writing a book was absolutely daunting. But over the years, I wrote very small pieces here and there uh, when I encounter experiences or things that I witness in practice. The challenge became, when I decided to write the book, is to put it all together into a thread that made sense, and also into a thread that will be attractive to the reader, because you don't want to just dispense principle. You want to make it kind of interactive with a story and with different things that happen. So that was the process, and it was a lot more than I ever thought. It takes virtually thousands of hours to go over and over and over. And then when finally you think you are ready and you have your manuscript, you send it to an editor. And, you know, me being French, English being my second language that I never learned but on the street, I'm sure there was plenty of it. So that was the first part. Uh, some men in Hawaii that I connected with edited the first draft. And then I sent it to another editor And it was very, actually, both of them almost removed no text. They just did grammatical error and punctuation. However, I had to read this thing over and over and over and over 400 pages. It was like, after a while, I was like, does this even make sense? Or... Does anyone want to read this? You know, <laughs> because once you read it so much, it becomes so familiar, and then it becomes almost boring. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was like, no, there is no way anybody wants to read this. So I put the book out, and I was stunned by the response. As you know, within a week, it sold out on Amazon, and then the the reviews and the posts were like amazing. I was absolutely floored. I didn't expect that at all. So I'm delighted that the book uh, is a home run.
0: Awesome. And I I did read it. I read all 400 pages and I I just I have to say that I read it in just such a timely manner. I feel like I feel like God just puts things right in your hands literally sometimes at the right time. My son was just born Rafa James Schrock, on April 15th and it was just so interesting how I was reading the process of the birthing process as you call yeah. it which is sounds a little weird but we we're going to talk about it is love making from the inside out is the birth right. birthing process and so right. we'll talk a little bit about that cuz it, it's actually a beautiful analogy but uh, i just i was so grateful that this book was in my hands at such a crucial time in my life so thank you for that that will be in my review um, And so my first question, because you you well, right state, can I jump can I jump yeah up to something absolutely right there? Yeah. when you
1: said you know it came into your life at the right time. I truly believe that when you serve at the level that you serve, really selflessly, wanting to give of yourself to other people, you're in the flow of life. Then hypersynchronicity shows up, and that book showed up at the right time for you. So there is no like, oh, well, it was kind of luck. It was pure hypersynchronicity, and I bless you
0: for it. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like you're spot on because I see see that all the time in my practice. I actually just came just a perfect example of that. Is that I came back to my practice after my son being born, and three women yesterday told me that have been trying to get pregnant now they're pregnant eight, nine, and ten weeks, and so we're having a baby boom at Life Alive Chiropractic right now. All right. <laughs> um, the in the beginning of the book it talks about. So just for the re, just for the listeners, this is Arno's very very personal journey. There's some really personal things in here. Um, that we will um, touch on. There's also just a, a a theme of he he structured the book really neat because you can read it piecemeal because it's kind of set out like a menu from all the way from the, the snacks and the hors d'oeuvres all the way to the for, full course meal and the desserts. And you can pick up this book and like, you know, right here, the marvel of the design of the spine. I could read that section and just be – blown away just by the anatomy and the function of the spine and how all that fits together and how it ties into our life. But I chose to just read it straight through. And I thought it was fantastic because there are stories peppered in that really keep it lively and animated. And um, by no means did you, you kind of gave a disclaimer, and this is where I'll start. You, You gave a disclaimer to your reader that this is your personal experiences uh, you're not, you know, putting scientific resources in here or lab experiments that back up these ex- these life experiences you've had. Tell us why you decided to to share the knowledge that way and dispense this intuition and wisdom that you've you've experienced in your life that way.
1: So basically, I felt that. If once you share an experience that you have lived, something that happened to you that you have witnessed within yourself, nobody can deny it. I don't care if it doesn't seem possible to some people, if it doesn't seem beyond science, beyond medicine, whatever you want to call it. It's a reality of what happened. And the good thing is I'm not alone. I'm married. I had two two kids. So there was witnesses of my processes. So I felt that it was important to share something that a lot of people would not have handled that way. A lot of people would have rushed to the emergency room, would have rushed to a doctor, would have gotten treatment. Uh, And I decided early on in my life that I would use my body as a living laboratory, as a living experiment. To validate the philosophy and the principle inherent to vitalism and to chiropractic. So I thought anytime that I had something very early on, a cut. Oh, well, let's see what, let's see what the body is going to do. Huh. It's bleeding. Okay. Oh, now it's stopped bleeding. It's start to coagulate. And what's my instinct? Oh, to put it in my mouth. Huh. Interesting. The saliva has antiseptic properties. The saliva also, with the sole property of the saliva, trigger the constriction of the blood vessel to stop the healing. When you suck on it, it removes the debris and and the the impurity so that the wound is now clean. So this was a, a short example, but I've had so many different things that were for most people beyond belief. So I decided I was gonna look at my body and witness it as I'm in a lab. I'm in a lab, I'm looking at myself, and I'm observing the process. And observing the process, I learn all of the steps of the process from beginning to end, the completion of the cycle. So that was, for me, uh, the way that I felt I needed to convey the power of the body to heal itself, and the intelligence of the wisdom of life that reside within us, the inborn intelligence that we are born with. And I thought that was a great way to convey this message by sharing those life experiences
0: and those healing
1: experiences.
0: Sure. And there are principles all throughout the book, but like you said earlier, the stories and the experiences for me brought it to real life. Now, I know you and I've heard you tell some of these stories before. And then there's other things that I was like, I did not know that about Arno. And it was just, uh, just thank you for being so open hearted and sharing because I know that now that's out there and, and, you know, that's some intimate, there's some intimate stories in there, especially about, um, just abuse in your past, uh, Your sister Florence, that just amazing healing journey that she's been on, and then you being on that journey with her. Um, You you did describe this as a tool or a book that could that could you stumbled into a philosophy that gave you sort of a GPS to live life. Correct. Correct. Are you? Tell us more about that what can someone expect when they read it? Can they just take what you've applied and apply that to their life? Or do they need to do to know the principles, but then also find out like, what do they need to find out what's their work to do on the other end? What are some things they can take from the book, but then also what do they need? What is some other people, what would they need to do to to do the, their own work to find their own GPS or orient their life properly?
1: So the way that I decided to write the book was in a way that people who have nothing to remember, by reading the words, the stories, the principle, they would be infused with that principle. And then they'll have to decide for themselves, do I abide by them or do I go back to my default, which is the ways that I have, most people have been raised, educated, and doctrinated in our society by the media, by by the mechanistic model of life. So that's the way that I wanted to do it. And I believe from the feedback that I'm getting from people reading the book, that that's exactly what happened. It's not like, oh, I have to study this. And if I study it intellectually and then apply it. No, you read the book. And there is a transmission that takes place. There is an being infused with something. And then the the last step is like, what do I do with it? Do I trust it? Do I trust myself? Because this book has touched something that is real within myself. And I'm very clear on this. I didn't want to educate people about anything. Uh, If anything, I want them to unlearn something, to de-educate them, to deprogram them. But not in a militant way, in a very subtle and gentle way, but in a powerful way. So once you read the books, you'll have to go, okay, this is my new GPS for life. You know, uh, trust is one of the most powerful force on earth. And to so around- tell us
0: more about that, because you did mention in the book two paths in general, around. one of fear... Right. And one of trust. So talk a little bit about that, because that is something that we all have to confront.
1: So those two paths have completely different outcome. First of all, within the chemistry of the body, the biochemistry of the body, once you vibrate in fear, once you mentally activate the fear pattern in a mental construct in your thoughts, your entire physiology, your biochemistry has changed. To a negative outcome to a negative biochemistry to a negative immune response in the body and actually to a negative vibration in your field that as i may have mentioned i can't remember if i mentioned it in the book but even an animal will pick it up it will pick up the smell of fear the vibration the energy of fear whereas if we move into trust the same thing applies there is a biochemistry of trust there is an immunology, there is an immune response of trust. There is a vibration and an energy, and you know, look at the, just the outer appearance of a person in fear versus a person in trust. Their their configuration, their facial expression, their body language change. So that's that's basically the distinction. And certainly, when something happens in life, whether it's something happening outside or something happening inside our body, frequently the first response is like, oh, my God, what's going on? Oh, could it be that? Could it be this? And then we start to run scenarios. And that's where one has to caught themselves and go, got it. I'm moving back into trust. And as I mentioned in some of the things in the book that I witnessed, is when we move out of fear back into trust, Something happened personally to my eyesight, to my perception, to my understanding, and I get what I call insight. Insight means to see inside, to see within, in sight. So that to me is basically the GPS that we can all abide through, is to have this constant awareness to move out of fear into trust. Because fear will come into life. Fear is, you know, it's there. It's there in the psyche. It's there in a society. And how can we just learn to navigate and always return back to trust?
0: What would be a way, because on page four, um, you had said uh, old patterns die hard. So the, some of the work is dismantling unconscious held beliefs. What can you give an example, even just from a story of the book, or, or, or an example of something that someone may have learned that's unconscious that they hold that belief, and it may it may change the way they behave.
1: So, for example, I have a headache. Programming is unconscious belief. I'll take a pill for my headache. I mean, it's almost an instancing in 98% probably of our society, maybe more, maybe slightly less. I don't know the statistic. But for most people, is I have a headache, I take a pill. Why? Because they've been programmed since they're a child to take St. Joseph aspirin or to take a pill through all the medication and drug commercial and pharmaceutical commercials. So that's the immediate response that they have. So it's not even... Something that they question It's like, of course, that's what I do. I have pain. I take a painkiller. Of course, that's what I do. So to dismantle that automatic response takes some time to like, no, let me see what I can do instead. What is my body demanding at this point? Oh, maybe some rest, maybe a glass of water, maybe to hydrate, maybe to exercise, maybe to move. My cervical spine and my neck, since we know that most of the headache processes, you know, start and originate from constriction of blood vessel or muscle tension in the neck. So this is a very basic example of an basically unconscious belief system, acquired belief system that we have to dismantle. The acquired belief system of most of society is that the body cannot heal itself unless I have intervention. Rather than, oh, actually, no, the body is a self-healing mechanism and it can heal itself. Now, I want to be clear because it's a podcast that may go to the public. There is a limitation of matter. There is a time and place for intervention. There is a time and place for medicine. If I get shot with a 44 magnum, I can be laying there on the sidewalk and go, oh, no problem. You know, I can just hang in there. My body is going to heal itself. No, this is where intervention takes place. This is where medicine is excel at to put you back together from very much a mechanical standpoint. You know, cauterize the wounds, stitch the body, remove the bullet, whatever it takes.
0: Yes, and that's what that's a theme that I also noticed is that on on earlier in the book you state that your vision is to elevate human consciousness in matters of life health healing wellness and well-being and i would like for you to to address how you how that came to be that you were going to be when when in your life or, or or what circumstances came about where you decided i'm going to be for elevating human consciousness i'm not going to be against medicine i'm not going to be against you know someone that may have a different belief and say i actually choose to take that pill or I choose to do something different. How did you decide to go for instead of against in your vision and your philosophy?
1: Great question. And I I didn't expect that question. This is wonderful. (laughs) Uh, As you know, I'm a chiropractor, obviously. And as you know, our chiropractic profession has been violently attacked in the 50s, 60s, 70s, early 80s by the medical profession, by organized political body of the medical profession. So when I would go to seminars within our profession... At the time, people were so distraught at the violent attacks on a profession, when we had these beautiful principles, this beautiful profession that is all about serving the public out of the goodness of our heart, connected to our soul with our hands. A lot of the speakers on stage became anti-medical. And I remember listening to Martin Luther King saying, I'm not against racism. I'm for equal rights. And that stuck into my consciousness way back then. So I decided I will never be against anything. I will always be for something. To give you an example, right now in Durango, Colorado, there is a proposal for a very large trailer park. And most of the community is against it. And I said, no. That's a losing battle. Instead, be for nature conservancy, for turning this area into a beautiful park for nature and so on. So that's where that shift took place for me. And I decided in my life, I will always be for something rather than against something.
0: Hmm. I want to. Do you mind if I read something out of here? Sure. sure. Okay, great. So I just think it Maybe it you can do speed a,
1: reading and in, in like a few minutes read through 400 pages. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Everybody get that? Um, it, it, and, the, and this is just a quote from you. It says, my experience is that focusing daily on one's health requires being conscious and aware from moment to moment. So going along this theme of being for something, you need to be alert. You need to be aware. You need to be conscious of what you're doing. Anyone can get on Facebook and blast a post or be against something and say, that's horrible, but they're not offering solutions. They're not really conscious of all of the viewpoints, or they may be looking through one perspective of this huge prism of a, a, you know an issue. Tell me why focusing daily on your health has made such a vast difference in your life.
1: Okay, so first of all, let's go back to the awareness that it brings. When we decide that health is our number one priority, and that realization and that decision and that choice may come from realizing that for most human beings, we have disregarded our body, we have disregarded our health, we have abused ourselves, and then when we break down, we seek to regain our health because it is so precious to us. Why not take care of that health in the first place? So that's a choice that to me is a rational, logical choice, being for health rather than against sickness, being for health rather than against disease. So once we make that choice and that decision with ourselves, then very quickly an awareness arise And this awareness, this consciousness is, what are my thoughts? What are my actions? What am I watching on TV? Is it positive for myself? Is it negative for myself? What am I putting into my body? The fuels that I'm putting into my body. How am I taking care of my body? Am I using it, you know, or utilizing it as a temple? You know, am I going to receive proactive care, what I call proactive salutogenic care where maybe you decide that massage you respond really well to massage and go for massage on a regular basis chiropractic care on a regular basis to get checked adjusted if needed acupuncture on a regular basis because it opens the meridian of the life force channel in the body so all of those decisions to invest in oneself in a proactive way to accumulate what I label positive survival values are essential. So that's a process that create a moment by moment awareness. Right now, do I have Coca-Cola? No. I have water. But the awareness was, oh, I'm thirsty right now. So let's take a sip of water, not like disregarding it. So as we expand our awareness, it becomes truly a moment by moment, constantly being aware of all this. And that creates a tremendous shift inside. And I believe it opens up the door to a connection to our own spirit within, to our own life force within.
0: And in the book, you, know, you write this in the book. So um, it's just fascinating that you, you've chose to be for your vision of health and healing and elevating human consciousness. Um, You even say in here that that there's at the end of the day, there's a social, moral, financial, and spiritual responsibility to take care of our health. But it wasn't always like that. So my question is you, you stumbled upon this philosophy and you've come to these conclusions over your 40 year career as a chiropractor, but what would you say to someone who, you know, you said that uh, one of your drugs was speed. You you roast motorcycles. Uh, I, I can't even. I couldn't even believe the section that you talked about. You know, becoming a small time thief and racing these motorcycles and and caffeine and nicotine and drugs and mescaline and you were, you know, this was like you as a younger man, uh, sort of lost and wondering like what what's going on here? What am I doing? And so there's some background, some family background that sends you on a journey and so can you talk a little bit about what you remember and what you would reflect on and what you would tell someone that is in that part of the journey of just feeling lost like this do you think it's a requirement to get a little lost sometimes to get found
1: sometime it is a requirement you're right and you know back then i was unconscious that's it i was asleep in court, I was asleep. So this is what everybody did in France, smoke cigarettes. It's very, you know, it's very socially, like it's cool, whatever, in your high school, it's cool. Everybody smokes cigarettes. You know, every time there was a break and we step out of the high school, we go to the cafe, have a cafe, you know, uh, and I didn't realize that my body being fire, I am a fire body, very passionate body, that caffeine exacerbated all this and almost I had not, we call an allergy to caffeine but a response to caffeine that was like made me very aggressive angry uh, tense so uh, at the time i was completely unconscious and obviously you know i grew up in the 60s so that was a drug culture the drug revolution so acid mescaline cocaine uh, marijuana hashish Uh, so yeah that's that's how it was and it took a motorcycle crash which i label as a motorcycle on purpose because i believe there is no accident in life if there is a universal intelligence and a great design and a divine design to life then everything has a purpose and a reason to be and we can disregard and say oh i was in an accident you know somebody hit me i'm irresponsible I wasn't responsible. No, they hit you for a reason. Mm. So there is a lesson to learn. And for me, the motorcycle crash was an awakening. And it led me to this chiropractor that was absolutely life-changing. My my interaction with him on the first visit was life-changing. And that's when I awakened. And from that point on, my life took an 180-degree shift in direction.
0: Yeah, I remember the last podcast that you were on. You did tell the story about how Doctor Jean Balaval, Am I saying that correctly? Correct. Uh, He he gave you a. I think you mentioned this in the book that you he gave you a fresh perspective. I'd love for people to pick up the book to read that story because it's a very captivating story. But basically, to give you guys a teaser, three sentences hit you in your being. In a way that changed your life, it it, it was an inflection point. It it was no, it was different from that point. Am I correct? In saying that, hundred percent. Three sentences. Three sentences that Doctor John said. So so simple, so truthful,
1: spoken with so much veracity, so much truth that it lit up light bulb in my consciousness. And that was a turning point. And I'm not going to reveal those sentences. I want people to read it in the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was absolutely it's a beautiful story, life changing. Yeah. Sometimes we get this type of adjustment in life.
0: Hmm. So after that point, um, do you mind sharing? Because it wasn't just all, like sometimes we have this we. We awaken and we're alert, and we start to notice things that we need to change in our life. Um, can you share with us a little bit about what happened after that point, and s- some of the stumbling blocks that uh, that you know, like the old de- the old habits that were dying hard? Do you do you remember any of those times where you just struggled, but then you you were able to triumph over that that obstacle? Correct.
1: So I think once you awaken as a human being and you change direction in your life, I believe that the divine, universal life, whatever you want to call it, will challenge you. Are you going to stick to that path? Are you strong enough to make, to answer the call, basically? So yes, uh, when I made the decision to change direction in my life, I ran into stumbling blocks. And I faced them with a, I would say, a time with very difficult time, but I always came back to the principle that this chiropractor shared with me, And that became my guiding light to come out of the darkness, back into the light. Uh, on a more practical level, One thing that I didn't share in the book, for example, is that uh, being French, being, you know, in the French culture where everybody smokes cigarettes, uh, I was still smoking cigarettes. And it was very hard to quit. I knew I had to quit. It was very hard to quit. And the first client that I had in my practice, the first client that I had in my practice was a dentist. He had an office behind my office. And we went out to lunch after we became friends within a few weeks of him coming regularly to get adjusted. You know, dentists have a very difficult challenge with their positioning, working people's mouths. So originally he came in from tension in his neck, neck problem, back problem, and all this, from his positioning, and he soon realized that chiropractic was a lot more than taking care or trying to solve back problem, that it had to do with overall well-being and health and a proactive way of living. So we went out to lunch and I said, Matt, his name was Matt Sinberg, and I said, Matt, I'm just absolutely so troubled by the fact that you know I'm a chiropractor. I'm talking about health and healing and well-being and wellness and life. And I can't give up smoking. I'm completely addicted. And he took a cigarette out of my pack and he showed it to me. And he said, This Can be bigger than you. That was the last cigarette I ever smoked. Hmm. That moment by me being open and vulnerable to one of my clients to revealing the challenge that I had in following my path and being in integrity with my path. Because I believe that as a chiropractor, we need to live by example. And I wasn't living by example and life provided me with this connection with Matt Sinberg, the dentist, who became my dentist for regular dental cleaning. And when he made that statement, that's all I needed to hear. Nobody had ever said that to me. You know, try this, try this, try this, try that. Not like, you see this stick there? It's called a cigarette. It can't be bigger than you. And that was it. So
0: I love that. Yeah. That is an example, though, of that. That uh, was probably not something we are taught. This would probably be an unconscious program to keep keep that secret from people and to put our our professional face Exactly. And to act a certain way when, in the end, it's not. That's not the truth, it's and so you truth, chose in the moment to be vulnerable there, and yeah. wow, what a powerful lesson. That was just the perfect thing that you needed to hear. I love that. Um, in that, in sort of that attitude, uh, there's a section called "Life, Light, and Shadow" in the book, and you just make this statement. I, I like I said, I really encourage people to um, get the book to read some of the backstory behind some of these statements. But this one struck me is love what is happening becomes the mantra of a soul-driven life. So talk more about that, is that love what is happening. How how in the world do we do that with all the circumstances and the things that pull our feelings and our heartstrings certain ways? How do we just love what is happening? (laughs) You
1: know, obviously, it's very hard to say I love the war in Ukraine. Mm Mm-hmm. Yet we have to recognize that there is something greater than ourselves, a dimension of life of the universe that is greater than human beings that is running the show. And that we only look at a very compressed moment in time and we don't know the end of the story. Could it be that out of those events Human consciousness was awakened to the next level, and that we keep climbing progressively toward a better state of being and a better state of living with each other in humanity. So, it's one thing to witness something, and then you can either charge it negatively, negatively with all your thoughts, your your energy, your mental emotional energy, or you can witness it. And for me, all of the outer event, especially the world event, are some things that I witnessed like a cartoon and a movie. I'm detached from it. It's a matter of fact that I don't watch the news. I don't watch TV, but every day I pick up my phone and I just scan through the headline. But before I do that, I go, let's see what the crazies are up to today. Let's see what the crazies are to today, because truly the state of the world is insanity and craziness, but we need that insanity and craziness to rise up to a next level. It needs to awaken us. You know, there was what, over 120 mass shooting, I think, between the first of the year and the first of March in the United States. I mean, it's insanity. But how many are we going to need to make a change? Mm -hmm. So there is a purpose to everything and a reason for everything. And it's very hard when, yeah, well, it's easy for you to say that, but it's my kids that got shot. Okay. it's a matter of fact, my own grandchildren were at the Denver high school when that kid came in and shot the teachers. So it came very close to me, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, I have to look at it as This is a play of consciousness. This is a play of the universe. I don't know the end of the story of human life. The entire stretch of humanity is but a microsecond in the timing of the universe. So it's a different way of looking at it. It's not an uncompassionate way. No, you can be very compassionate. You can be very empathetic. But do not let yourself be trapped into it. So on a more personal level, if something happened, for example, suddenly you're faced with a divorce, you can fight it or you can accept what is. And the quicker we accept what is in life, I believe, the better off we are on all levels. Mm-hmm.
0: The moment
1: that we start to fight it, question it, it shouldn't have happened. My girlfriend should not have left me. Well, sorry, she did left leave you. So, you know, you can't argue with reality. You're you're gonna lose,
0: right? And and you even stayed in here. Our wounds are invitations to core healing and transformation. And this is, I mean, all the stories are. This isn't just something that these aren't just principles you talk about, but the stories in the book are when you came upon. These real life circumstances in your own life, like even having coming literally to death's door, you know, a a, a diagnosis of cancer, uh, osteosarcoma diagnosis in your humerus, right? In your arm. Correct. Correct. And then also there's um, some other medical uh, or, uh, uh, kind of crisis moments that you've experienced throughout here but yet you start to you you continue to choose to trust life and the stories are just interwoven in here one thing that i love that you say is that we are but one cell in the body of humanity so why is it important to recognize that we are we matter and and then tell us about the mosquito principle because one cell, people think one cell is just a tiny thing and it doesn't matter. But you, you say otherwise. Right.
1: Right. So of course we have one cell in the body of humanity. And as we know, one single human being, whether it was Hitler or Gandhi or Martin Luther King and Saddam Hussein, one single human being can change the course of humanity and can bring betterment to humanity or a very negative, destructive experience to humanity. So every single human being has a power to impact all of humanity. So no matter how small we feel in relationship to humanity, because there is 6 billion people or 6.5 billion people, whatever that is now, that we seem like, oh my God, I mean, it's too big. What can I do? But in reality, we have the power to make a change, to make transformation. And the mosquito principle is not something that I invented. It's Mm -hmm. something that I uh, saw and took from the Dalai Lama that said, you know, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. And indeed, we all know that, you know, when it's like, and you try to get it, and you try to get it. And no matter how many times you get it, it's almost like it's in my ear now. Boom, I'm going to get it. (laughs) Nope, nope, you missed it. It's hell, right? Mm-hmm. But without a mosquito, it's heavenly. So that's a mosquito principle. We can all make a big difference in life. And you're a great example. You are stepping up as young as you are, starting in practice. You're stepping up to make a difference in the world, to contribute to a better humanity. So I think that's our purpose in life, to, to be honest. I mean, I really feel that this is, we have to live our own purpose, and I believe that the purpose of life is to make humanity better, to improve humanity. And even a gas station attendant could do that by serving people, by being joyful. I don't know if you recall the book called uh, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior mm-hmm. by Dan Milman, but one of the uh, gas station attendant became like the wisdom dispenser.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Socrates.
1: Socrates, that's it. So, you know, it doesn't have to be that everybody has to be a surgeon, a lawyer, a dentist, or a chiropractor. Uh, It can be a janitor.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think he states, this is summarizing, but I think he states something like, he said, well, you're just a gas station attendant. And he goes, this is a service station. I serve (laughs) people here. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So just to... Um, this is another thing that I thought was a very interesting way. I've heard you say this before. And, you know, we, we're talking a lot about the physiology of trust and giving people word pictures of what that may look like, what that may feel like. And one of those things is introspection. In, in the book, you said, I have learned and observed in introspection, doubt is the life behind faith. What in the world does that mean? And how okay. did you come to that?
1: I came to that through my chiropractic education around the concept and the understanding of subluxation.
0: Okay. Tell us, tell the listeners if they don't know what that uh, nerdy chiropractic word is.
1: (laughs) Okay. Subluxation actually is not just a chiropractic word. It has been used in the medical literature and sometimes in people that are in biology or physics that refer to something that happened in the human body. But a subluxation basically is an impediment to the free flow of life force in the body through the channel called the neurospinal system or the spinal cord so when a vertebrae or contiguous vertebrae are out of normal function positioning performance there is what we call in chiropractic a subluxation so it was primarily in the birth of our profession a concept And that concept, like the concept of the atom, evolved over time with many different theories. So they evolved into theories that actually negated the early theories. So every time there was a theory, it was a stepping stone to the next level of understanding. Still today, we do not know what an atom is. Mm -hmm. But we use it every day. So when you have doubt about something, it causes you to inquire and to search deeper. And out of that inner search and that questioning, you grow a new understanding or a new theory.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And then that process repeats itself until eventually you can come to a state of complete knowing about something. Hmm. So it's a process. This is why, you know, you may have faith that there was a subluxation. You may, physicists may have faith that atoms exist. But did they know it? No, it was a belief. It was not a knowing. And still today, all those theories, we believe this is a new theory about the atom but we don't know it for sure yet. So this is how doubt is a life behind faith.
0: So it's actually sense? yeah and you you do kind of uh, you do state it as that's a sort of an enzyme which is uh, something in the body that speeds something up or makes something happen in the body to go to the to to resolution or completion. And so you say it's an enzyme for transformation which Correct. most people think doubt as like a negative thing well don't doubt it just do it and so this is this is an example of looking a little bit deeper and seeing doubt as how how it could take you to another level rather than just doubting for the sake of negativity exactly
1: yeah. So let's take an example that people can relate to it very sure. frequently you're in a new relationship you have the fireworks you know you're in the peace phase of the relationship mm-hmm. and then one of person or both in the relationship said does does Ryan really love me does he really love me or is he really the guy for me mm-hmm. And then that opens up the door to a deeper communication, to a deeper conversation, to a questioning, and it creates movement in the relationship. So doubt will move the relationship forwards if you are willing to be vulnerable and open and be truthful and authentic with what you feel and what your thoughts are. So this is something that a lot of people can relate to. Or you can go... Oh no no! I I doubt that you love me, and you split,
0: mm-hmm. right? Right, right. So I would not come back to that. But I have a I have a I have just a real life example of that is my wife Andrea and I are sitting there one of the first days, and we go, <laughs> "Do we know how to change this diaper? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a real doubt. Like, yeah. what do we oh do? My God. How does it look? You know, and you think you can read something and it's like, okay, so one person shows us how to do it. And we're like, okay, I think I got that. And so even just, you know, us looking at each other and, and, and you know, I just remember grabbing her hand the other day and said, dude, you know, can you even believe we're doing this? Is this, this the most <laughs> surreal thing. And we're just sitting here looking at Rafa, like he has no idea that we just, we, we don't even know what we're doing. <laughs> and with that doubt though, it really, it, my heart is so aware and alert And I was just telling someone the other day, you know, like a dad comes in and he goes, welcome to the no sleep club. And I'm like, well, yeah. And also, it's also an opportunity to like serve my kid and to be motivated to um, to really face some of my own selfish ways. And this process is making me so so realize how selfish I am, how much I want to do what I want to do and when I want to do it. And there's just this little being that's so helpless yet so cute. And I can't, I can't leave him there to, you know, to just lay there. So you just get up and you just do it. And I don't think of it as like, oh, I lost sleep or anything like that. It's, it's an honor and I'm grateful for it, but it is challenging. Like life is challenged me in this moment. What are you gonna do when you hear that that peep? What are you gonna do when that alarm goes off when you know he needs to be fed? and his life you know hangs in the balance, whether he's gonna gain weight or not? You know it's up to you. So it's just a beautiful example of true doubt it really does is inspiring. It's not f- something to fear. It really right. makes me introspective, like, where am I getting it right? and where do I need to step up? Uh, and so it's a beautiful example. I want to go back to that relationship thing because, uh, earlier in your life, you did, uh, have a, a real heartbreak. It sounds like, I mean, you went, you even mm-hmm. moved locations geographically because it was too heartbreaking to, to walk past, um, this significant other's house. And so tell me, cause I, I think this happens a lot with people is that they get shut down by a lover or emotionally. How, did, how does one start to, you know, they have doubts. How does one start to open back up? How did you start to open back up to loving again?
1: I think it took time. I know it took time. Uh, you know, I don't quote me exactly, but I think psychology said for every year that you're in a relationship, you need one month to grieve. Mm. So seven years you know, minimum of seven months to grieve. Even though I was very young, I had been in that relationship for three years. So it took me quite a while to be able to soothe the emotional pain. Retrospectively, and I didn't talk about this in the book, I believe that my heart was never as open as it was then and it only reopened fully at the birth, I shouldn't say the birth of my first two children because they came out of a 747 since we adopted them. But it is in receiving those children that my heart completely blossomed and that I was back with a fully open heart the way that I think I had it as a young child. So it takes time to heal those emotional wounds, but we have to be willing to keep moving through life and, um, trust that the right circumstances may show up to reopen us up. Now, as you know, for a while, for many years in Colorado, I was running a six day intensive training camp for health professional chiropractors, the public, and there is processes, there are processes that you can do that will crack you open. Uh, Some of those processes that we did at the camp uh, were done to criminals, hardcore criminals and gang members that end up being virtually in a fetal position crying like a baby. So there is there are processes available out there If life does not bring you the circumstances that will do that for you, that you can seek out. So, uh, but I think it's critical to live with an open heart and that require openness and vulnerability.
0: And the other side of that, like you said, is that it goes back to the two paths is that you continue to live in fear and the, because that one relationship, you know, uh, one perfect example is Florence, your sister, is that there's just so much there and people have to read the book to really get the full story. But um, a lot of evidence in her life to not trust people and to be fearful of people and say, there's no way that I'm ever going to have a relationship with someone. And even in the most destitute, it sounds like the most destitute circumstances that some human beings could be in, um, with her life that still to this day, she continues to be able to heal that and that you guys had a beautiful moment, um, in the hotel room that, that was just, yeah, that was a very impactful moment for me in the book. And I know I could feel it through, through the words that, that was that was one of the, a big moment in your life mm-hmm. as well. And mm-hmm. so no matter what, I think what the hope that you give in this book is that core healing is always possible, even right. when we have scars and bumps and bruises and things about our body that are different, or we feel certain feelings because we felt ugly for so long. Can you address what life forces? And then what core healing is, and and then I have a, another question about the body. But what core healing is, and then I, I want to address what life force is, because it's a it's a critical element of knowing about healing and health and well being.
1: Correct. So obviously, for the public, most people think about healing as something physical, something biological, uh, a physiological phenomena that take place in the body, whether it's from a broken bone. Uh, an injury or whatever, but there is another level of healing which is healing the being inside the body and the the metaphor that I I, I could use, oh my battery uh, hold on my battery is about to run out, so I'm just gonna plug it in, sure and put it in so that we don't disconnect. so, uh, core healing, the metaphor that I like to use is, you know, when you are driving a car, the car is a physical vehicle, but there is a being driving the car. Well, in the human body, it's no different. There is a physical vehicle, and obviously we are not. We are, and then there is a being within that physical vehicle. Most people identify with their body, but the reality is we have heard it. It sounds corny, but we are not our body. So people could say, what do you mean I'm not my body? Well, yeah, I'm going to tell you how you're not their body. We can cut your arms. We can cut your legs. We can remove many of your organs. You're still there. You're still there. You are not your body. There is something beyond that is within. So that being inside the physical body has encountered through life, through the process of life, which is inherent to life, different wounds. Different obstacle, different challenges, and that being needs to be healed. That's what core healing is. So back to the metaphor of a car, the car can be repainted, you can you know repair the fended door or a bedded door or whatever, but it hasn't touched the driver. So we can heal the physical part of the body, but we can also heal the driver inside the car. So that's that, that's what core healing is. Now, when and it comes to life, yeah,
0: yeah you stated you stated as like the animating light of our life. So why is this important to to be in touch with? Because it seems it some people maybe it seems a little esoteric or or um, not something they hear a lot. Give us an example of why that is, is a real reality in our life and and why it's so important
1: you, you're, to know.
0: You're referring to life force, correct? Life force, yeah. Life force, yes, the animating life force. light of our life, the animating part of correct. our body.
1: Correct. So to be very direct and quick in communication, the only difference between you and I on this podcast now, and if we drop dead says that suddenly I have a heart attack and and I'm dead within like a couple of minutes I'm dead. The only difference between my physical body right now speaking to you, breathing, digesting, repairing internally, <clears throat> moving, the only difference is the presence or absence of life force. Because when I, once I'm dead on the floor, I still have all of my parts, all of my system all of my organs, I still have a brain, I still have a genetic makeup, it's my DNA, I have everything, but I'm no longer alive because my life force, my spirit has left my body. So that is, I don't care if you're a Princeton graduate, an MIT graduate, a Harvard graduate, no one can argue with that reality. That is a fact. Yep. So the life force is actually... The true power that animate and power our own being, our own physical framework.
0: And the pipeline in the in our body for that is the neurospinal system. Correct. Any so of, life force. So life force through,
1: from the brain through the spinal cord.
0: And I, I would, would say to anyone that just picking up the book and going to the Marvel of the spine section is, even though this book wasn't meant to be educational, when you, when you read it from that perspective, it really brings the structure alive. It, you're, you right. realize you're more than bones and nerves. You're, there's something, there's an essence of you that is very important to get in touch with. And to recognize, but we don't, we don't, we're not often taught it in everyday living. Yeah. And, and that's or, a big, or, big thing. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. So my question um, to, to sort of uh, get into a little bit different area, but still using this theme of life forces, you talk uh, uh, pretty at length at different ways that we can that would be a good idea to rethink symptomatology and to think of symptomatology in the body and as sickness and health in the body is just a normal body functions. It's a language of the body. Uh, You say in in here that there's cleansing, behavior changing, healing, adaptive, pathological, and retracing uh, healing symptoms in our body. So let's take, for instance, um, uh, one that I liked because we see a lot of kids and a lot of parents are very misinformed about a biological tool of healing called fever. So can you give us an example of what would happen, what the intelligence of the life force in activation when a fever is happening and why that's a biological tool rather than something to to, um, suppress and why that could actually have some long-term, um, negative effects on someone's health.
1: Okay. So, you know, fever definitely is one of those acquired belief system that people don't even think about. Oh, my kid has a fever. Let's suppress it. Mm -hmm. Go back 150 years. People that ran a fever, they got under the blanket, they, they drank a hot toddy. They sweated out for three or four days and they came back on the other side. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, people will say, well, but some people had fever and didn't come back on the other side because they died. Yeah, we were at a time 150 years ago where sanitation, housing, nutrition was very poor compared to today. So, of course, there is people, there has always been people, even today in modern world, that as a result of an illness will die. And people, uh, as a... That go like, well, I should have gone to the hospital. Well, there is a lot of people that go to the hospital and die there too. (laughs) So it's a matter of fact that for the medical profession, and I feel deeply for them, for most medical doctors, failure is more frequent than success. Oh, this antibiotic didn't work. Let's put you on this one. Oh, this didn't work. Let's put you on this one. Oh, this drug has side effect. Let's change it to this one. Oh, I'm sorry. You had an infection that you acquired in the hospital and now we're trying to save your life. Oh, we lost the patient. So we have to wake up that one direction is not 100% guaranteed, no more than the other direction is 100% guaranteed. So when it comes to fever, fever is obviously an intelligent response of the body when the body is challenged with something. Again, if there is indeed, and we know through logic, through observation, through experience, that indeed there is an inborn innate intelligence within the body. We are born with an intelligence. It created us from one cell into a whole human being. The possibility or the capacity to do that is beyond the human intellect to comprehend. How from a microscopic, hypermicroscopic dot, we become Rafa, your little boy that was just born. How does that happen? No textbook, no science, nobody to tell the body what to do, the body does it. So there is an inborn intelligence. And suddenly we go, I have a fever. It shouldn't be there. Well, if it's there, The intelligence of the body responded and created the fever for a reason. So we know today from studying this, that fever destroys bacterial reproduction. It killed cancer cells. It opened the the walls of blood vessels to allow larger cells from the immune system to reach areas that usually they can't reach. Mm -hmm. It changed the biochemistry of the body by increasing the output that the body put out. The biochemistry, the human drugstore, basically deliver a lot more chemical for every time you increase the temperature by one degree, it increased by 10%. Mm-hmm. So it's a, the it's a best healing design mechanism that we have in our body to heal ourselves from all kinds of things, including early cancer, undetected cancer in the body. Mm-hmm. So I suspect, and I don't know for sure, but is it possible that since fever killed cancer cell, that many people throughout life end up having cancer as a result of having suppressed a fever on a regular basis? Hmm. It's a possibility. We have to right? look at that. Mm-hmm. So basically my understanding to my own experience that the symptoms that we do experience are almost always an intelligent response to the body and a process of waking us up, telling us that something must change in our life, that we must conduct ourselves differently, think, behave differently. Of course, there is symptoms that are life-threatening. If unbeknown to me, I eat a piece of chicken and it was laden with a toxic chemical that is absolutely life-threatening, and suddenly I collapse on the floor and I turn completely white and I'm unconscious, there is maybe something that needs to be done to save my life by extracting the poison that was in my body. So there is a challenging navigation there as to, okay, I can see those symptoms are totally fine. I can trust that. Oh, oh, here is something that may require emergency first aid or emergency medical response. So we have to navigate that. But what I brought forward into the book is very common symptoms that people experiences that are absolutely not life-threatening in any way, shape or form. And that actually are designed to heal the body, to repair the body or to adapt to changes that we have in the environment.
0: Mm-hmm. And one, one, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to read some of these things because this will just uh, give people an idea of what they're, what else they're going to learn. Uh, we talked about the philosophy of for versus against. Um, we're going to come back to this to end it today. Is birth is a body function? It's not a delivery. It's not a package. It's not a, a medical procedure. Birth is a body function, and the birthing process is a b- body function as well. Matter is energy pregnant with information and vibration. A cold is normal, natural, adaptive process. Most symptoms are an intelligent language of the body to send us messages about how we live. Wow, that's that, <laughs> that right there is an opportunity to come, come alongside a doubt because I think a lot of my general feeling when I encounter someone in practice I say at the end of the day, we only have to agree on one thing. We can have different spiritual views. We can like, one of us can like apples and another oranges, but we have to both entertain the idea together as a team that I'm not the doctor, the best doctor here, that there is an intelligence inside of you and you are designed to heal and you have to at least entertain that idea when, when you're going through care Because it's important to recognize that we are not putting inputs into the body in forms of drugs or procedures, but we're asking the body to function how it was designed to function. So it's just a beautiful time to, uh, you know, when you if you don't think there's there's an intelligence to symptoms, I would say if you don't take anything else from this hour, uh, that would be a good place to start in health is. Maybe rethink that their warnings and their languages um, of the body. Uh, so another I, want, one. I want to jump in very quickly yeah, sure. on this quickly yeah. on
1: something. So as you know, I now spend some time in the Baja California in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if you know that, but the Coca Cola in Mexico has—I can't remember the percentage—but it's absolutely amazing how much more sugar it has than the Coca Cola in the United States. Hmm. As a result, most Mexican people. Who drink Coca-Cola very quickly acquire diabetes mm. and then obesity. <clears throat> now, the symptom is acquired. They're not born with diabetes. They acquire it. The obesity is they're not born fat. Rafa was not born, you know, 250 pounds. <laughs> Thank God, right? Mm-hmm. So the symptomatology that they experience is a message for them to change something that they are doing. And the change is very simple stop drinking coca-cola the body is 70 plus percent water not 70 plus percent coca-cola so we have to learn to listen to the message to the the symptomatology of a body as a guiding post Mm -hmm. for the changes that we have to make in life and as a result i don't know if you know that but mexico has the highest level of diabetes of, uh, wow. even more so than the United States. And the United States is also crazy because the American diet is ridden with sugars and diet sodas and you name it, and all that stuff. So.
0: Sure. And, and I just, this brings us to the, um, the end of the book, there, there's this beautiful section about the birthing process. And this is just near and dear to my heart. And I, I feel a little bit selfishly. I wanted to talk about it just because I just had this, this amazing experience with my own wife and, um, and also opportunities. It wasn't all, uh, we're chiropractors. We live, we live what we talk about. We live healthy lifestyle. We put positive nutritional inputs in our body, drink lots of water get adjusted on a regular basis, all all the things we've been talking about today. And yet, we had two miscarriages before Rafa came along. And one of those, I can say absolutely for a fact that one of those periods of time was one of the most stressful periods of time in our marriage. And not only that, but in our business. Uh, This kind of gets biblical in a sense, but there was a flood. Uh, Or There was a fire, Marshall fires out here in Colorado, and it destroyed thousands of homes within a matter of hours. And it did so bad of smoke damage to our building and our landlord wasn't doing anything about it. So we felt pressure to move and try to get out of that situation. And at the same time, we were presented an opportunity to move into a new location. And it was hard. It was difficult at the time because we were. We were basically covering two practices and juggling all these things, and then also Andrea was pregnant. And then we get over to this new location, and there's a flood. I, I walk in one day, and the whole place is under water. And then if if that was enough, uh, there was there was somewhat of a loss of friendship during this exchange when we were going through this process of changing buildings and everything. And so, what it did to my heart and emotional life just wrecked me at the time. And even though on the other side, like you, you said earlier, there's just this, we don't know when it's happening right then, what the purpose is for that. But I can tell you on the other side of this, that when we got pregnant again and, and Rafa came along, and I just look at him and go, I can't, I can't even imagine Rafa not being here, you know? this is perfect. And so talk to us a little bit about, you know, we just had a home birth and it was just a beautiful thing. And you talk about, you know, uh, children being born at home and how it is absolutely, you know, if there's not a super high risk situation or something that that is really the best environment for, for human life to come about and for the comfort of mother and a baby and father and and birth team and, everything. And so can you just talk a little bit about why you almost ended the book? The book ends with birth process and love. And so why, why after 40 years of doing what you do and in your whole life, why why end with the birth process as what you um, kind of state as the, the lovemaking process from the inside out, which may sound a little weird to people. And you do put that in the book. why end with that? Why is that so important?
1: Well, a few things. For me, when I was in practice, as you know, I took care of a lot of babies because I did an educational process. And I realized that the birth process in the hospital is a very aggressive, traumatic, and violent process. Hmm. And I also knew early on that many children that were born with forceps, with vacuum extraction, with manual delivery called Ritgen Maneuver, were traumatized and then had acquired symptomatology that resolved when I clear the neurospinal system very early on. And sometimes some of those children were brought to me by the time they were four, five, six years old and had, you know, facial palsy or bipolar palsy or different symptomatology. So I realized the importance of educating the public about the reality of the birth process and how we have completely transformed birthing into a medical surgical procedure for nearly all births, to the exception of people that are really wanting to make a difference and have a home birth. So I wanted to put this in the book because it is such an important part of The very beginning of life. We have a choice to give that child the best possible available environment to be born. Um, So when I started practicing, I educated people about the birth process, about the two sides of birth. And I didn't take um, position on it. I just exposed, matter of fact, everything that could take place in a hospital, all of the intervention, and how those interventions could affect either the baby or the mother. And how frequently those interventions were a cascade effect. One little intervention leads to the next that has to be answered with another one. And then suddenly you're being railroaded into a sequence of intervention that are really traumatic, that can injure the nervous system, the biochemistry of the body. So, and then the... Two weeks later, I would give a presentation on what birth can be, Mm -hmm. how birth is indeed a body function. So I wanted to put this at the end of the book because I knew it was the most controversial part of the book. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, first of all, it fell into place almost naturally. But I realized, oh, that's interesting. It's almost the last, last chapter before I get to love. And yet, I felt it is so controversial, so out on a limb, that by the time people get to it, they have absorbed so much that now they are at least going to be open-minded to it. Mm -hmm. If I had put it at the beginning of the book, I think people would have shut the book right away. (laughs) They would have gone like, no. Even though you can argue with it, Mm-hmm. You cannot argue with what I brought forth. And I don't want to discuss it uh, on the air like this, but you cannot argue with the analogy. Mm-hmm. And yet I wanted people to be able to take it in no matter how resistive they would be, because having read the rest of the book, the beginning of the book up to that point, they would be still at least open minded and wanting to read it. So that's how it went. And because of the intensity uh, and the, yeah, it's controversial. The controversial of, of that presentation, I wanted to finish with love hmm. and the power of words and the power of love. So that's that's how it all unfolded. And truly, it unfolded almost organically. <laughs> it's not like I thought it through, but it, this is how it ended up being. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Well, I want to thank yeah. you for. For writing it, it was even though if you know Arno, still get the book because you you learn you learn more about why he is the way he is and and why um, you know, just how his perspective is just so fresh, and it c- continues to enlighten me in my in my chiropractic practice. I you know I've spent many many hours with you in your seminars and facilitating. Uh, with students and and being a student myself, and every time that I go back to the basics, and and I kind of will use this book is to remind me of the simplicity and to trust life again, and to how to uh, you know how to ex- receive those unexpected blessings, like you talk about in a, a part of the book there where. Just having a simple cup of tea, you could trace it all the way back to the farmer and how it got to you in the packaging and how they put the tea bag together and the little quote that they have. And it's just, you know, there's always something to be grateful uh, about. And I, I I highly recommend that if you don't know Arno and if you are on a healing journey and you want to elevate your own and, and up-level your own consciousness or up-level your mind and your heart and what your hands do in life. And if you're looking for more purpose, I, I highly recommend taking a journey into this book because it really is just a, a journey through another person's life. It's not written where you have to do anything in that book. It's written just from an open heart and a fresh perspective on life and someone's real, real journey. And you may be able to relate, you, you'll you find shocking similarities no matter who you are and what walk of life. You'll find the, look for the similarities in there to your own journey and you'll be enlightened. So thank you for being Ryan's, on today. Thank you so much, Ryan, for the You're interview. And I, I you, hope a million people put, listen to it.
1: <laughs> you put great questions. It was really fun and I enjoyed it very much and, you know, down the line, we'll do some more, and hopefully, uh, I'll get to see you soon.
0: Yes, yeah, I wish you the hug, Rafa.
1: And I, I want to thank everybody that is listening to the podcast, whether it was live or down the line, uh, because we went over an hour and twenty minutes. So uh, it's you took a chunk of your time, and I want to thank you for sticking with it and listening and taking it in.
0: And just again. Uh, The book is called The Cafe of Life and The Mosquito Principle. And you can find it on Amazon or any out. That's the best outlet, right?
1: Yes, on Amazon on Amazon and Kindle. I mean, it's on 50 other international Mm platforms from other countries. There is many different platforms that have the book out, but the principal platform is Amazon. Awesome. Can you show the cover of the book again? Oh, yeah. 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 And, and one of the comments that I had about that book is this is a book that actually can be judged by its cover. Mm. And I think the cover is absolutely amazing. It has so much symb- uh, symbolism in it. Mm. Uh, and, and also symbolism that is a reality of the human body mm. and the yep. human being. Yep.
0: So there's definitely more to us than we think. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thanks for being on the day.